Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I am warm and cozy here in my closet today as it is snowing outside. I can't believe we're already getting snow. Where has this year gone? It feels like this year has just flown by and I can't believe that the holidays are right around the corner, which kind of brings me to my topic today. We're talking about shooting on yourself, which always makes me kind of giggle a little bit. The idea of shooting on yourself, it sounds naughty, right? And yet all of us have these expectations that we have internalized from growing up and from just earlier in life, things from society, things from religion, things from our families, things we watch in the movies, things from pop culture, things from social media. We see things and we internalize them and we believe that that is the expectation for our life. That's how it should be done. That is what a good person does. And a lot of times these shoulds can really wreak havoc with us. And I feel like, especially at the holidays, if you're going through religious transition, shooting on yourself becomes a huge thing. I know for the first couple of years when I was going through religious transition, there were so many traditions and so many things that had been passed down to me from my own parents and grandparents and things that had come through my husband's side of the family, and then traditions we had created. And it felt like once we had taken on those things, if it happened in our childhood, if it was something we brought to our holiday traditions, that it had to be that way forever. And I would often get really overwhelmed. But I noticed that going through religious transition, the guilt and the overwhelm got so big that I found that I would almost shut down during the holidays. The first couple of holidays after we had left High Demand Religion, I found myself making myself do things. I didn't want to do any of it. And I think I did some damage to myself, actually, those first couple of years because I was forcing myself to create this magic that I wasn't really feeling. I wasn't really sure I wanted to continue creating and then, of course, there were family expectations about were we coming home for the holidays? Would we be spending Thanksgiving? Did we even want to celebrate Thanksgiving? Did we even want to celebrate Christmas? What parts were okay? What parts were not okay? And it was really a swirling, confusing time, those first couple of holiday seasons. And that sort of swirling confusion is normal when you're going through religious transition, but it was exacerbated and I think made more stressful and overwhelming. And I felt more guilty because of all of the shoulds and the expectations. And I really wasn't aware of them at the time. But since I've really learned to use my shoulds as a red flag to address expectations that aren't necessarily lining up with my values and that aren't 
completely serving me anymore. And so I wanted to bring this to the table before the holidays and before we end up season one of this podcast so that we all can kind of launch into the holidays aware of what expectations and shoulds we're putting on ourselves or that others are putting on ourselves and how we can navigate those and really get to the heart of what we want to do And when there are things that we feel we should do that maybe we don't want to do, how we can kind of reframe that and get into a healthy place where we can care for ourselves, even when we have to do maybe responsible grown-up things that we don't want to do, but are necessary for the kind of life we want to live. Okay, shooting yourself, hilarious term that it is, is a term that was coined by psychologist Clayton Barbeau. And it's basically putting pressure on yourself to do or be something based on what you think you're supposed to do or be. And I know all of us listening to this podcast have felt this before because high demand religion is a long list of things you're supposed to do and be. It's a whole long list of shoulds that you're supposed to take on yourself. You know, the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots, they're not just limited to the Ten Commandments. A lot of times they come down to us from our families and from our religious community groups as well. And like I said, shoulds don't just happen in high demand religion. I want you to understand that whether you were raised in high demand religion or not, you would have some of this shoulding. This happens to most people. So many of us have spent so many years working from a place of who we should be and what we should do and what we should want that we've been out of touch for most of our lives with what we actually want and who we actually are. So this podcast today isn't just about decreasing overwhelm and guilt. It's also about really getting in touch with our authentic selves and with our inner knowing inside. This is to improve your relationship with yourself as well. And remember from last week, when we improve our relationship with ourselves, when we get to know ourselves and love ourselves and accept ourselves, and when we learn to belong to ourselves, then we show up more honestly with other people and we allow other people to see us and hear us and to love us and accept us exactly as we are. We give other people that opportunity. And when we do that, we can create bonds of belonging instead of bonds of fitting in with others. But it all starts with us. So this episode today is going to help us not only get curious about the should messages in our life, but really start to reconnect with ourselves again so we can build that kind of relationship, which will then help us build relationships with others that feel good and feel nourishing. So some of the common shoulds I hear a lot in my practice are, I should be over this by now. I should be able to let this go. I should be able to forgive. I shouldn't be so angry. I should enjoy being a parent. For those of you who were told that you should get married young and have tons and tons and tons of kids, whether you wanted to or not, this one comes up a lot. I should enjoy being a parent. I should want to spend more time with my kids. Family life should be my primary focus because that one was definitely pounded into our heads, right? Some others are, I should be able to function normally right now. I should be grateful for the life I have. I should be quiet about my pain. I should just play nice. I know some of those probably resonated, and there are 
infinite numbers more of shoulds that we've inherited or that we've internalized from our surroundings, from from the things that we were taught when we were children. Living from should has all kinds of negative side effects. So first, it's basically a shame message that attacks your sense of self-worth and enoughness. I mean, think about it. The very core of a should message is that you should be better than you already are. It basically tells you you aren't good enough right now. And when we're telling ourselves these kinds of messages, like many of us do multiple times a day, day in and day out, we're reinforcing this idea, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. We are really pouring that judgment on ourselves and increasing that shame we feel, which actually hinders our ability to grow and to heal. Growth mindset comes from a place of, it's okay to try things on and to take things off that don't fit. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be human. I am lovable and enough even when I fail. I am lovable and enough exactly as I am right now. Growth mindset comes from the ability to love and accept ourselves exactly as we are. When we're constantly shaming ourselves with shoulds and telling ourselves that we are not good enough as we are right now and that we should be better than we are, We're making it harder for us to grow, which most of our shoulds are about growth. Most of our shoulds are about changes we want to make in our life. They're about goals we want to attain. They're about ways we want to connect with others and how we want to show up in the world. But when we're beating ourselves to get to that place, we're less likely to show up the way we want to because we're so busy defending ourselves. Shame makes us put up our armor. And when we're armored up and when it's not safe to fail and it's not safe to make mistakes and it's not safe to be human, we can't grow because growth requires us to go into vulnerable spaces where we could fail and we could make mistakes and we might not get it right all the time. In fact, most of the time we won't get it right until we found ways that work for us. So shame really gets in the way of what we were trying to accomplish in the first place. We're shooting ourselves to get healthier. We're shooting ourselves to be better parents and better friends and better citizens. And we're shooting ourselves about how we should show up as entrepreneurs at work and as husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends. And we are shooting ourselves all over the place to take care of the planet and to do work in inequality and justice for everyone. And when we're beating ourselves up because we're not showing up enough or we're not the kind of person we think we should be, we actually hinder our ability to show up more. This shoulding also creates a second problem. Overwhelm. Remember, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I was shoulding myself to death. All the shoulds, all the things that I should be doing. When we're living in a space of not enough or even never enough, it can be hard to rest and just be. Think about that. When you've got a ton of shoulds running through your head, is it ever okay to rest? Is it ever okay to just be? It's not. Because remember, in the should message, who you are right now is not okay. You should be better. You can't just be, you can't just rest because who you are right now in the moment is not acceptable. 
This creates a sense of overwhelm that not only leaves us feeling stressed and anxious, but like I said earlier, it makes us less productive. I want you to think about when you're in overwhelm and you're stressed. Are you as productive? Or do you feel scattered and like you can't focus and you can't get things done because you've got a million and one things running through your brain? When we're shooting ourselves all over the place, and all of us should a little, Know that this isn't a behavior you'll be able to eradicate completely. It's about the incessant shooting, though. When we are placing expectations on ourselves all day long, it can become overwhelming and stressful. And we can feel like we're running on empty. The overwhelm itself will suck our energy and our motivation and make it less likely for us to achieve what we're trying to achieve. And last, it corrodes self-trust. So I want you to ask yourself, What is the main fear behind the should message? When I'm shoulding myself to go to the gym, when I'm shoulding myself to clean my house, when I'm shoulding myself about bringing gifts to the neighbors or calling my grandmother or whatever it is, what is the message that's underneath that should? For many of us, it's the idea that if we don't should ourselves, we'll become worthless, lazy, careless slobs. Or something like that. We've been taught that if we don't shut ourselves into becoming good, we won't be good. As I've been going on my journey of trying to figure out if I believe in God or not, and I still don't know, I've had some people say, you know, I could never do that because if I ever left my religion, if I ever decided there was no God, I might go out and murder and rape and steal and cheat and lie and do all of these things, there's this basic belief, especially in high-demand Christianity, that people are basically evil. That underneath it all, we are selfish, we are slothful, gluttonous, devilish, solely self-serving, and lazy. And when we see ourselves this way, it makes sense that we would feel like we need to emotionally flog ourselves into action. If high-demand religion has taught us that people are basically bad underneath it and that we need a set of rules and consequences, that we need to should ourselves in order to be decent people, it makes sense that we take shoulding so seriously. But we're starting to see from the research that shooting ourselves actually strengthens the belief that when we're left to our own devices, we can't be trusted. It erodes self-trust. It erodes our ability to listen to our own inner compass and to follow it. And this is especially true because like we talked about before, when we feel shame and overwhelm, we're less likely to do the thing that we feel like we should do. And we feel defeated before we even begin. This actually creates a really vicious cycle. So I want you to think about this. You feel like you should do something. And this creates shame or guilt or overwhelm often because we haven't done it already. Usually we should ourselves for a long time before we do something, right? I should go to the gym. I should go to the gym. And we go throughout our day with this kind of low-grade sense of disappointment with ourselves, guilt, sometimes shame, and even overwhelm if the thing is building up and we're seeing a building pile of defeat. This makes it less likely for us to go do the thing. 
and more likely for us to fall off the bandwagon after a while if we do get started. And when that happens, when we fail, it reinforces the idea that we can't be trusted and we need to should ourselves, which leads us to shoulding ourselves more. The crazy thing is that when we stop telling ourselves we should be good, guess what? It turns out, much to our surprise, we're already good underneath it all. Our natural instinct is to connect and care for one another. We evolved as a societal species, which means the vast majority of us have all kinds of neurological wiring for empathy, compassion, and kindness. It's literally hardwired into our DNA to care and look out for one another. We come into this world ready to connect and care for others. We also come hardwired for self-preservation, which means caring for ourselves physically and mentally and emotionally. But what gets in the way is often indoctrination. Hatred of ourselves and others, bias, and distrust are all things that we've learned. And often the behaviors that we engage in that get in the way of what we want to do or what we want to achieve or what we want to accomplish, what we feel like we need to feel whole, Those behaviors came about as a way to comfort and protect ourselves from the indoctrination we received about ourselves and the world we live in. When we stop forcing ourselves to be good and instead operate from natural desire for goodness, because it's in almost all of us, there are 1% of us we've found that are sociopaths. We're still learning about them. We do know that they don't exhibit empathy or compassion the way the 99% of us do. They don't feel remorse the same way we do. And we don't know if they are born without the ability to feel compassion and empathy and remorse, or if it's a learned protection device from early trauma. We don't know. We're still studying it. We have ideas about it, but we don't know for sure. But I do know that for 99% of us, we have a natural desire to do good things in the world. And when we operate from this natural desire to do good things, and all of us have different desires to do good things, we're all going to have our individual things that light us up and ways that we'll want to contribute to the world. Not all of us will have the same gifts. You might be a person that adds goodness to the world through your understanding of mathematics and science. I might be a person that adds goodness to the world through my understanding of human relationships and emotional intelligence. Another person might add goodness to the world through their understanding of farming and how plants work and what we can do to make our world a safer, more environmentally friendly place for all of us. There are a host of things. Some of us might add beauty to the world through art or music or dance. Some of us may parent the next generation of children and help them feel loved and understood. Some of us are just amazing friends or amazing listeners. We all have gifts. We all add goodness to the world naturally when we listen to that compass inside of us. And what's cool is when we're operating in the world from this natural goodness that's already inside of us, we feel nourished and fulfilled versus when we're operating on what we think we should be adding to the world. We can do the same thing, but when we're operating from, this is my deep desire, this is what I want to do, feels completely different than this is what I should do. 
there's a totally different energy behind those two different things. I find that sometimes one of the things that gets in the way is we've been taught that there's a quote unquote right way to do things, but I find that often the same outcome can be reached in many different ways. Allowing yourself to listen to the way you want to move toward your goal instead of the way you believe you should move toward your goal can make the whole experience not only more enjoyable, but easier to achieve. So for instance, probably one of the easiest ways to illustrate this is with careers. Let's say the goal, what your parents wanted to instill in you, was this idea that they wanted you to have a high-paying, reliable income that would add value to the world. But let's say that for some reason or another, they've fixated on becoming a doctor as the way to do that. And so all growing up, they told you, you know, when you grow up, you could go to this school or this school to become a doctor. What kind of doctor do you think you would like to be? Do you want to be a heart surgeon? Do you want to be a general practitioner? What do you want to be? But all of your choices were limited to being a doctor. You were taught that you should want to be some kind of doctor. You had choice, but your choices were limited to medical professions. What happens is there are lots of ways for us to make a high, reliable income and add value to the world, which was the original goal for your parents, right? They wanted you to have a high, reliable income, to feel good about your work and add value. You could do that as an artist. You could do it as an accountant. You could do it as an author. You could do it as a filmmaker. You could do it as a Wall Street broker. You could do it as a scientist. You could do it in all different kinds of ways. It doesn't have to be just a doctor. And so I find that when we hear ourselves saying should, often there's a little piece in that should that we agree with. And when that happens, I like to get curious about that. Is there something in this should message I actually want? What was the purpose of this should? So for instance, one for me, I grew up believing that exercise was hard and that adults don't exercise. No one actually ever told me that. It's just what was modeled for me. And kids exercised all the time. I was involved in all kinds of different sports. But once you became an adult... Adults don't play anymore. Adults are very serious. And I guess I thought that exercise also must be very serious. And so I hated exercise as an adult because I thought it should be serious. It should be something like kickboxing boot camp or, you know, some of those exercise regimens that like kill you, the P90X or whatever it is. I found myself feeling like those were the kind of exercises I should be doing because I was an adult now. When I got curious with that should, when I caught that should a few years back, I listened to it and I was like, what is the purpose of this should? And I was like, underneath all of these layers, I'm telling myself that I want to move my body and I want my body to be healthy and strong. I want my body to last for as long as it can. But I'm telling myself the only way to do that because I'm an adult is to do some sort of serious exercise. So if I don't come out of there hating my life, I didn't do it right. Literally, that's what I heard inside my head. If you don't come out of there hating your life, you didn't do it right. 
And I and so I was doing that. I was going to classes that made me hate my life. I would go in there and I was like, I hate this. And the whole time I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. And then I would come out and I still hated it. Do you think I enjoyed going and moving my body? Was that something I wanted to do? No, no, it was not. I hated exercise. And when I allowed myself to get curious with the should, and I realized that my want in the should was to move my body and to stay healthy and to take care of myself, then I started asking myself, how do I want to do that? I'm going to throw out the idea that there is a right way to move and just accept that any way of moving my body and any way of getting a workout is acceptable. How do I want to move? And I realized I was craving dance. I danced as a child. I danced throughout my teenage years. I love dancing. My body wanted to dance. My body also wanted to hike and be in nature. My body wanted to lift weights, listening to rap music. And so I started giving my body what it wants. So when I go to exercise classes now, I check in with myself and say, is this something I'm enjoying? Is this something I like to do? Am I meeting the need of moving my body and keeping it physically in shape and making sure it lasts as long as it possibly can? Check. And am I enjoying myself? Is this something I want to do? This is also something that came up when I was going through my Christmas traditions. I know several of you have inherited Christmas traditions that overwhelm you and stress you out and you don't enjoy. I know there are a lot of you listening to this that are like, I have to do this and I have to do that and then I should do this and I should do that and it becomes this big overwhelming ordeal. I came from a family where we decorated sugar cookies for everyone, all the neighbors, all the teachers, all the family members, some for us, and we invited friends over to decorate them with us. It was so stressful carrying on that tradition the way I grew up with it. I realized I love sugar cookies. I want to keep making them. I want to do it with my kids. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to make sugar cookies for the whole neighborhood. I don't want to make sugar cookies for my kids' teachers. I don't want to have a gaggle of kids over to make sugar cookies several times during the Christmas season. I just don't want to do that. So I really got curious with myself. How do I want to do sugar cookies? And I listened in and realized, you know what? I want to do sugar cookies once. I'm okay with my kids each having one friend over one time to decorate sugar cookies. We will make two batches We all get to eat sugar cookies that night and drink hot cocoa and laugh and enjoy each other. And then it's over. The sugar cookies are done. We save a baggie full for the Santa tradition that my kids wanted to keep. And that's it. And now it feels much more doable and a lot less overwhelming. You may decide if you have a sugar cookie tradition, then maybe you buy store-bought dough. Maybe you buy pre-made cookies. Maybe you scrap the sugar cookie tradition altogether. That gets to be okay. Really dig into, is there anything in this should that I want to keep? What is the purpose? And does that purpose serve me anymore? If it doesn't serve you anymore, chuck it. If it serves you, but the way you're trying to accomplish that isn't serving you, allow yourself to open up to possibility and listen into. How do I want to do this? What would serve me? 
allowing ourselves to listen to the way we want to move towards our goal instead of the way we believe we should move towards our goal can make the whole experience not only more enjoyable, but easier to achieve. Okay, so how are we going to move past should and into more empowerment? Many of us have a hard time parsing out what we want because our want is a little bit underdeveloped and out of practice. We've spent so much of our lives living in should that want really hasn't had a voice in our life for a long time. We may have felt a little bit like robots of duty and often shame and guilt and overwhelm that there's no space for the quiet voice that tells us what we really want to do and be. So this may feel like a new practice and that gets to be okay. Create quiet space for you to listen to that voice that tells you what you want. Listen to those gut punches and those little hits of intuition that tell you, "Mm, I don't like this or I don't want this. To find out what you want, first let your should guide the way. Your should can be a red flag or a guidepost to what you don't want, which is often the first helpful step to finding what you do want. Should is a judgment we learn somewhere in our lives that we then internalize. And we rarely say should about things we feel totally aligned with. So whenever you hear yourself saying should, it can really point you to things that don't feel quite right to you. Like I was telling you, I wanted to move my body, but I felt like it should be boring and brutal and very adult and serious. That didn't line up with who I am. I'm a fun person. I like to be silly. I like to shake it. The girls in my Zumba class know that I can twerk with the best of them. I love to get in there and be silly and carefree. I love that. One of the reasons I love lifting weights is I put on my headphones and I get lost and I feel like a teenager again, listening to rap music, dropping the beat while I'm squatting and stuff. That just feels really fun to me. One of the reasons I love hiking in nature is because I feel like I'm getting back in touch with the earth, which is where I feel peace and calm. So if it's not feeling delicious to you and you're shooting on yourself, stop. Let that be a red flag. Let it tell you what you don't want. Get curious with it. Don't want is the first step to what you do want. You're like, okay, I don't want this. What do I want instead? And listen to that quiet voice tell you what it wants. When you hear yourself say should, must, have to, ought to, etc., which all of those, you guys, are just different versions of the same message. I have to go to the store. I have to run him here. I have to work out. I have to make dinner. I ought to go to bed early. I ought to eat healthier. I ought to eat more fruits and vegetables. I ought to go take that class. These are all just different ways of saying should. All of these do the same thing. They operate the same way in our lives. So when you hear yourself saying should or have to or must, stop and get curious with yourself. What is out of alignment? One of the things I'm finding is that when we say I want to do something, that's coming from our inner knowing. Want comes from inside of us. Should is often an external expectation that we've internalized. So I find it's helpful for me to ask myself, where did I learn this should? And I just sit and get quiet with myself. Where did I learn this should? What's the earliest memory I have of this message? And I just sit and I'm quiet and I listen to what comes up for me. 
And your inner knowing is going to talk to you in different ways, remember? You may feel yourself think something. You may get a feeling. You may get a mental picture. All of that is okay. Then I ask myself, who does this should belong to? Often I can hear the voice of the should in my head. It's my mom's voice or my Sunday school teacher's voice or my fifth grade teacher's voice or it's my BYU professor's voice or it's some lady in Relief Society, which is the women's group in Mormonism. It's her voice or it's someone else. Whose voice is this should in? Who does it belong to? Do you agree with or want this should? Is it serving you anymore? Do you agree with it? Is being a doctor the only way to be successful? Is the only way an adult is allowed to move her body in boring, serious ways? Do I agree that I should hate my workout for it to be effective? The next question is, what are you afraid will happen if you don't do this should? And why? Sometimes just becoming aware of how we're shooting ourselves and where we picked up the message and what parts of it resonate with us and which ones don't can help us move forward in ways that feel more empowering. We can discard the should altogether, or we can keep only certain parts of it with more empowering words like I want or I will. Now, I know there are a couple of you that are like, but what if I have conflicting shoulds? This comes up a lot with working moms. Working mom guilt is a huge thing because on the one hand, we feel like we should be giving our best work at work and we should be doing all of these tasks. But on the other hand, we feel like we should be spending 100% of our time with our kids and creating a magical childhood for them, which we have very specific ideas of what that looks like. And there's a bunch of shoulds attached to that. When we have competing shoulds, We're basically setting ourselves up for failure and therefore more shame and guilt and more overwhelm. And so instead of asking which you should do, I find it's helpful to set priorities. Which is the most important right in this moment? Maybe right now the most important thing is to snuggle your child in bed and to soak up the way their hair smells and the way it feels to hold them and to just revel in the moment of them being small and living at home with you. Or maybe right now the priority is that project you have due at the end of the day. You get to decide what your priority is in this moment. The right now part is important because our priorities shift. This also allows us to give all of our focus and be present with the priority now and then shift priorities later, whether later is 30 minutes from now or five hours from now or a week from now. And then before we end, I want to propose an experiment. This has been really helpful in my own life, just changing language. So the experiment is try to discard should from your vocabulary and your life for a week and see what happens. Often when we say should, it's not really an accurate description or even the best language to describe what we're going through. So for the next week, we're also getting rid of ought to, must, and have to. We're throwing out the words that create conflict in our lives and create guilt and shame and overwhelm. More accurate terms might be I will, or I can, or I want, or even I feel pressure to. 
So I feel pressure to decorate my trunk and show up and do trunk or treat at the elementary school fall festival. I feel pressure to cook the turkey for Thanksgiving dinner. I feel pressure to read to my kids every single night, even on the nights when we get home really late and we're tired because I feel like good moms read to their kids every single night. Notice what you actually want. Notice what things you don't maybe want to do, but you want the result. So I will clean my house because I want to live in an organized space. And when possible, really tap into what you want from the things that you're doing in your life and then express it with accurate language. Language really does matter. Using accurate language can elevate self-awareness and it can empower us. There's a huge difference, like I said, between I want to and I should. There's even a big difference between I feel pressure to and I should. So let's use more accurate language with ourselves this week and see what comes up. When someone calls you and asks you if you can bake that plate of cookies, if you hear yourself say I should, stop for a minute. Get curious with it and really listen for what you want or what you feel pressured to do, and then make your decision from the more accurate language space. The next time someone tells you that you should go to church, that you should read your Bible, that you should be a certain way with your kids or should be teaching them certain things, get curious. Listen to your own knowing. Get curious about where that message came from, who said it and who it belongs to, and if you even agree with it, or if it's serving you, and then from that place of awareness, make decisions that are in alignment with your values and what you want and what's important to you. I'm so excited for these holidays. Honestly, for the first time in probably four years, utilizing these principles has brought me to a place where there really is a lot more enjoyment in holidays that really felt wrapped up a lot in religious trauma. Halloween had a whole list of shoulds and should nots attached to it for me. Thanksgiving did, Christmas did, and it's been so nice to really pay attention to these shoulds over the last several years, release what is not serving me or my family. There are some things that I felt like were not serving me, but my kids were like, no, mom, we want to keep this. And so we sat down and had family meetings and decided If we were going to keep this, who was going to be in charge of what? Who wanted to be in charge of certain things? Who wanted to keep certain traditions going? And how are we going to make this a win for everyone involved? There were lots of family obligations of things we should participate in during the holidays because they're tradition. And tradition is another way of saying should. This is what we always do. Therefore, you should do it. And I allowed myself to get curious about traditions as well. And actually to set boundaries around traditions that I felt were really stressful and actually didn't serve me or my family. And to suggest traditions that might be more supportive to all of us in all of our different family situations and socioeconomic situations and faith transition situations that might help everyone feel more included, less stressed more seen, more embraced. And that has been a beautiful and empowering process as well. 
So as we go into the holidays, as you continue your religious transition, as you begin to craft a life that is meant for you, listen to your internal shoulds. Listen to those messages. And my friends, release everything that doesn't fit anymore and give yourself permission to listen to what you would want to do instead. Sending you all the best this week as we try to use our accurate language about what we want and what we will do and what we can do and what we feel pressured to do. And I look forward to talking with you on the Facebook group and chatting with you again here on the podcast next week. See you then.